Hey, welcome. Welcome to those of you here. Welcome to those of you online. Hey, do me a favor. Put your hands together for our online viewers. We have people who watch every single week from all over the world. So it's just really cool that we get to have this online ministry. I want to thank you for being here with us. My name is Jeremy. I'm our infrastructure pastor here at Thorn Creek Church. And our lead pastor, Pastor Ruben, has been in Washington, D.C. this last week. He's been working on some new message series and thinking about strategy and vision. So he's just had some time away to kind of really focus in on those things. So I get this opportunity to bring the message today. I'm really excited about it. God has been moving in my heart. We are in our series called Hebrews, and we're going through this entire book this whole summer, all 13 chapters, and we're looking at a chapter every single week. And today we are in chapter five. So I want to recap a little bit, or if you're just joining us, I want to kind to fill you in on the context of the letter to the Hebrews. So we don't know who wrote this letter, who wrote this book. Uh, Some people believe it was Paul. Most scholars don't believe that it was Paul. Some people believe that it was Barnabas or someone who was influenced by Paul. Um, But really, we just don't know. Uh, It wasn't signed by anyone. um, And so we don't know who that author is. Um, But we do know who it was intended for. It's, It's called the letter to the Hebrews. It was written to Jewish Christians in Rome. These are people who were Jewish, who were following the the law and and all of Judaism, and then they gave their life to Jesus. They started following Jesus, and they're living in Rome, and we know that they were living under persecution. Uh, At this time, Nero was was Caesar, was was the ruler of Rome, and he actually set the city on fire, but to avoid any kind of of issue with himself, he blamed the Christians. And so he got this kind of roused everybody up to not like the Christians. And the Christians in Rome at that time were experiencing great persecution. They would be arrested. They would be tortured. They would be put to death. They were actually lit on fire on these big stakes in the middle of the night to provide light for the streets. That's how bad it was. And so you have all of these Christians, these Jewish Christians, who this writer is writing to, trying, and he's trying to encourage them, trying to help them remember to, to follow Jesus, that Jesus is our great salvation, and he is our great hope. And he's trying to help them remember not to just go back to Judaism or to go to this kind of water down Christianity because of all of the persecution. He's trying to encourage him. And so that's why he wrote this book. And um, we saw these Jewish Christians, they felt like giving up. And we see this kind of systematic approach that the author takes. Chapter one, he talks about the prophets and how Jesus is better than the prophets, that God used to speak through prophets, but now he spoke through Jesus. And he tells us how Jesus is greater than angels. And then in chapter two, he talks about Jesus being fully human and fully God. He he talks about how Jesus came to this planet and became like one of us. And uh, he starts talking about him being this high priest. And that's a a key concept we're going to get to. Chapter three, we hear that Jesus is greater than Moses. So he's really speaking to this Jewish audience who, who elevate Moses. Moses is a very great prophet, a very great man of God. And so this writer says, no, Jesus is greater than Moses. And he also encourages the people to not harden their hearts when they hear the voice of God. Not, not to be like the Israelites who were in the wilderness and, and who heard God moving and, and were up to the, to the promised land but saw these giants and were afraid that God wouldn't move. They hardened their hearts. And this writer tells these Jewish Christians, don't do that. 
Today, when you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. And then in chapter four, we hear about how you can enter into God's Sabbath rest. And Pastor Nick did a wonderful job last week letting us know how we can enter into that rest and that God has this rest, this peace for us and how, how we need to really rest in what Jesus has done in our life. So if you've missed any of those, go to our YouTube channel and check them out. But now we are in chapter Five. And we've been doing something every week. I really like it. I think it's cool. We've been reading the entire chapter together and then going through it. So do me a favor. Let's stand in reverence for God's word and let's read all of chapter five. It's 14 verses here. <clears throat> it starts in verse one. It says, every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And he was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Lord, we come before you today and just thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. God, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to meet together. And uh, God, I just ask that you would come and fill this place. God, we know you're already here. Would you move in our hearts? God, would you use this message for your kingdom and for your glory? God, I pray that you would kind of just set me aside. Whatever, whatever words you want to come out of my mouth, God, I just, I, I just want to be your vessel. So use me, God, however you want. And we give this time to you as an act of worship, as we love you and we we honor you. God, we pray for Pastor Reuben and, and for Grace as they're out in Washington, D.C. I pray your protection over them as they're out there. And I, I pray your protection as they travel back, God. Bring them back safely to us. We look forward to them being here. And we look forward to hearing how you've moved in Pastor Reuben's heart. God, have your way in this place, God. Have your way here. We love you and we worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated.
All right, chapter 5 starts out, and verse 1 talks about this high priest. But it it doesn't really start here. It actually starts back in chapter 4. So we're going to jump back in there a little bit. And in fact, the the verses from chapter 4, verse 14, through chapter 10, verse 18, are central to the message of the letter of Hebrews. It really, this is where the writer really digs into this concept that Jesus is this high priest. Remember, he's talking to a Jewish audience, and so they understand what a high priest is and how important this is. And so the the writer is really trying to help them see Jesus as this high priest. And he actually alludes to it way early in chapter 2. Let's look at that. Chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, he says, For this reason... He had to be made like them. He's talking about Jesus, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. There it is right there, high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. And so now the author begins to to talk about this in chapter four, and he kind of restates this. And he's talking about how Jesus is this high priest and how he can relate with us, that he has been tempted, that he's been, he has suffered like we do as humans. In chapter four, verse 14, it says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The high priest is a very important person for the Jewish audience. This is the person who stands in, in the gap, who mediates between humankind and God. He, he serves in the temple. He, gives, uh, he, he does all the offerings and the sacrifices and, and does this. And, and this is his duty, and he's called by God to do this. But we see here, the author says that Jesus is now this high priest, but he has ascended. He's not in this earthly temple or this earthly tabernacle, but he has ascended into heaven. He's greater than the high priest that you have here on earth. And he's not a high priest that's unable to understand what it's like for us. He's, he's not unable to, 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 to know what it's like to suffer and to be tempted. He, we have a high priest in Jesus who knows exactly what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to be tempted to be selfish. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted to be arrogant. He knows what it's like to be tempted to be hateful, to, to be lustful. He knows what it's like to be tempted to steal. And what it's like to to be tempted to lie. And he knows exactly what it's like to be tempted to be selfish and to put himself above others and to be self-righteous. He knows all of those temptations. He has lived in our flesh and he has walked the way that we have, yet he is without sin. He did what what none of us could do, what none of us can do. He did not uh, bow to those temptations. He did not sin. And so we see because of Jesus... And him being this high priest who never sinned, we now have this ability to go before God's throne with confidence, he says. Now, this is huge because apart from Jesus, with a regular high priest, 
There's a place in the temple called the Holy of Holies. It's where the Ark of the Covenant would sit, and that's where the presence of God was. And no one could go in there except the high priest, and he could only go in there once a year to pay for the, to, to offer sacrifices, the offer atonement for the people of Israel and for himself. But now because we have Jesus who's passed through into this heavenly tabernacle, he is now our heavenly high priest. We can now approach God's throne with confidence, without fear, knowing that God has grace for us. So he's pointing out that Jesus has done this great work, that he is this high priest. And the Jewish audience, they recognize this. They recognize that the high priest does those things, that he's the only one that can go in there. And now Jesus is different. And so we get into chapter five and the author starts talking about the earthly high priest again. He says, every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. So here's this high priest. He stands as mediator between humankind and God. He offers gifts and sacrifices for sin. He also offers sacrifices for his own sin. And he's appointed. He's not selected. He doesn't choose to be the high priest. He is appointed by God. And this is very interesting to me that there's this point in here where it says he is able to deal gently with people who are ignorant. This, this Greek word that gets, gets translated to deal gently is defined as the mean between extrav- extravagant grief and utter indifference. The, the, the mean, the, the middle between extravagant grief and utter indifference. The high priest didn't lose it. He didn't have extreme anger when he would see people come in offering their sacrifices for their sin. Like, like Joe, you're here again. I can't believe it. He didn't have that kind of mentality. He could deal gently with them because he knew his own weaknesses, because he could relate. He could empathize. He said, I've been there. Now, I want to confess a little bit something here. Uh, I, I don't typically, I'm pretty slow to honk the horn when I'm driving. Someone like cuts me off or does something weird. Like my wife, she'll say, hey, honk the horn. I'm like, no, 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 it's, it's okay. Like I don't need to. And, and the reason is, the real confession here is I'm not a great driver. And I'm usually the one who gets honked at. I, I make bad judgments and I swim, and, and I haven't had any accidents, but, but I do those kind of things. And I, I end up doing like the, you know, like the sorry wave, like, I'm sorry, that was me. Yeah, I know, bonehead. You know, that's me. And I've done that so many times that when someone does that, I just give them the benefit of the doubt. I go, you know what? They may be having a bad day. They may not have seen me. They may have had something else on their mind. Maybe the kid was yelling in the back. I'm I'm slow because I don't want to be angry with them. And I don't want to be indifferent. I just, I want to have a heart of compassion. And that's what this, this high priest has. He deals gently because he has compassion for people. And that's what God wants for each of us. He wants us to have compassion for each other. Not to get irritated because someone has, has done something wrong. We, we recognize that, that we have faults as well. We don't get overly angry. We don't get indifferent. We don't get apathetic like, oh, whatever. You just live your life. But we show empathy and we show compassion and we care for people. 
See, the problem is we tend to think that, that our way is the right way because it's our opinion. And when I came up with my opinion, that seems to be the right way to do things. And so it's very easy to get frustrated with people who don't do things the right way or my way. But what God wants us to do is to deal gently with each other. To deal gently, just like this high priest, to recognize I have weaknesses as well. I need offerings for my sins as well. I make mistakes as well. So I'm going to deal gently with other people. I'm not going to make harsh judgments out of hate or irritation. One commentary said it like this regarding dealing gently. It means the ability to bear with people without getting irritated. And the high priest was able to do this because he had to deal with his own sins as well. When he offered sacrifices for sins, it wasn't just for others. He was part of the mix. This is unlike Jesus, who the author just said was without sin. See, Jesus doesn't have the same weaknesses as us. Now, he walked and he's been tempted. He knows he can empathize, but he does not have to offer sacrifices for, some, for himself. The author's pointing to Jesus being the high priest, not just another high priest. We continue on in verse 5, it says, In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, You are my son. Today, I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. See, Jesus didn't choose this. It was appointed by God, just like other high priests. God appointed him because he was his son, because he was obedient to the father. And continuing on in verse 7, it says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. See, some scholars believe this is now referencing Jesus' time in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right before he goes to the cross, he, he offers up this prayer, this, this fervent prayer and petition. He, he cries out to God and he says, Father, if there's, if there's any other way, if there's a way that this, this wrath, this cup of wrath could be taken away from me, let's do that. But then Jesus says, but not my will, your will. He, he's completely obedient to the Father, and he offers up these prayers, and, and, and he works through obedience to God, and, and because of that, he's, he's made perfect. He is the perfect sacrifice. He is our atoning sacrifice, the Lamb of God, because he completely obeyed God every possibility, at every turn. He didn't say what I want, but what you want, God. And so he offered up these, and he, and he became this great sacrifice for us. And he concluded that he wanted God's will. William Barclay explains it like this in his commentary. He says, the rabbis had a saying, there are three kinds of prayer, each loftier than the preceding, prayer, crying, and tears. Prayer is made in silence, crying with raised voice, but tears overcome all things. Jesus knew even the desperate prayer of tears. Have you ever experienced the desperate prayer of tears? The one that, that doesn't even have words. It's just louder than all the rest. You're just crying out to God because you need him to move in such a powerful and mighty way. See, others believe that they're, they're referencing Jesus' life overall. It could be in the Garden of Gethsemane where he really just laid it all out there. 
Some gospels say that, that, that the sweat coming off of him was like drops of blood. He was so intense. And others think it's just his whole life he offered prayers and, and fervent petitions and, and crying out to God. Either way, Jesus was obedient through his sufferings. He became the sacrifice for all sins, for your sin and for my sin, for the sins of the entire world. Jesus is a different high priest. He's not gentle because of his own weaknesses. He's not gentle with us and compassionate because he knows exactly what it's like to sin. He just knows exactly what it's like to be tempted. And so his heart for each and every one of us comes from this place of compassion and love. And so he's gentle with each of us as we approach him. Jesus is not a high priest like any other. He doesn't need to go back into the temple and make a sacrifice year over year over year over year. When the earthly high priest would make that sacrifice, that atonement on Yom Kippur, where he would go in on this day and he would go into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle the blood everywhere. He would, he would do that and then he would leave and then the next year he would have to do it again and again and again because the blood of bulls and goats could never cover all of the sins of the people. But Jesus, being perfect, enters in and does this once and for all. He has defeated death and sin. They have no hold on him. Sin has no hold on those who are found in Jesus, those who put their faith in him. Jesus is a priest from a different order. Verse 10 says, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. The order of Melchizedek. What does that mean? You ever heard that name, Melchizedek? Well, it must be pretty important because we see it in verse 6 and in verse 10. And here's the downside. I don't get to talk about it much. <laughs> it's in chapter 7, so you got to come back in two weeks to make sure you hear that. So we don't get to dig in too much. But here's what I want to tell you a little bit about Melchizedek. i got to stay in my lane here in chapter 5. At a high level, here's who Melchizedek is. He shows up in just a few verses in Genesis 14. He's a high priest of God. His name actually means king of righteousness. And he was the king of Salem, which means king of peace. So he was a king of righteousness and of peace. He blesses Abram, Abraham before his name was changed. And uh, he was a priest before the priesthood was established through Moses and Aaron. He came before that priesthood. And so this is why it's important that Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek. And, and we don't know where he came from. The Bible doesn't tell. And we don't know where he went. The Bible doesn't tell us. Some scholars believe that Melchizedek was, was Jesus, was a manifestation of Christ in the Old Testament. And others believe that he was just a symbol of Christ in the Old Testament. But that is is Melchizedek. And man, I wish we could geek out and jump into all that, but we can't. And that leads us to the crux of chapter five. What the author says, he says in verse 11, he says, we have so much to say about this. So much to talk about with Jesus being the high priest and he's in the order of Melchizedek and we're gonna dig into the Old Testament and it's great. He says, we're gonna do all of this stuff. We have so much to say about it, but it is hard to make it clear to you. Why? because you no longer try to understand. In verse 11, the author takes this divergent path. He kind of splits off and he goes, look, here's the challenge. You guys aren't even trying to understand. He has much to say, 
but he can't because they no longer try to understand. The Greek word that gets translated in the NIV as no longer try to understand is nothros. It means slow, sluggish, indolent, dull, and languid. I love how the NLT says it. It says, there is much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You're spiritually dull. He's calling these Christians, these followers of Christ, spiritually dull. He recognizes that they've been walking with Christ for a while, but they're not ready to understand these deeper truths. They're not dull as in they're incapable of understanding or they have some kind of mental deficiency or anything. The writer is just saying they're lazy. They're just lazy. They're not even trying. They've become languid. They, they're, they're not putting forth any effort to grow in Jesus, to grow in their faith. The author is calling them out and trying to wake them up before he really digs into what this means that Jesus is our high priest. I think these Christians would have fit in well with our, our current society and our culture. Uh, I, think, I think they would have, you know, it's very easy to be lazy and not put any effort in with, with all the advances that we have in technology, all the things that we have on social media. I mean, we're entertained right and left. All it takes is a flick of a finger to get to the next thing. I mean, it, we don't have to put very much effort into anything. Engineers spend hours and hours and hours trying to develop algorithms that will feed us constantly with new things and new things so that we can just sit back and, and consume them. And, and not just consume them, but be lazy consumers as well. Did you know on Netflix, there's now a button, this has probably been there for a little while, I noticed it the other day, that there's a button that just says play something. Like you no longer have to like scroll through and figure out, what you, you just say play something. And this algorithm figures out what you like and so it puts something up. I mean, like the ultimate of being lazy. Now I'm old enough to remember before Netflix and before like mail-in Netflix is what I'm talking about. And when you wanted to watch something, like something new, you would have to get into your car and you would drive to this place called Blockbuster Video and they would have walls upon walls of DVDs or VHS, depending on how old you are, and you you would stay, I remember going with my father and we would, we would go wanting to have like this movie, whatever movie it was, and they only had three copies of it and they were gone. So now we got to figure out what we're going to watch. And we would spend hours walking around, looking at the walls, like, what's this movie? I don't know. You pull it off and you read it and you go to, we had to put in effort. But now we don't have to do that. And technology is great. I'm not against technology. I love it. But what we've done to ourselves is we've made ourselves lazy. We've built all these really cool things. And now all you have to do is push the button that says, play something. Entertain me. And, and, and it's crazy. And we have all these parts of our lives where we've become consumers and, and lazy consumers. We cry out, feed me, feed me, give me something else. We have all these notifications on our phones that tell us when to look at something, when someone has had dinner, when someone has posted on social media, when we're supposed to read our Bible verse of the day. There's a notification that you got an email. You need to check it. There's a notification that you got a text. You need to check it. All we have to do is sit back and let our phones tell us what to do. And we could become just like these people. I think these people would fit in wonderfully because you don't have to try to do anything. You don't have to try to, excuse me, try to understand. You just sit back and listen. And really the question is that I thought about this for us is, are you trying? Are you trying to grow closer to God? 
Are you trying to engage with other people and build relationships and, and connect and, and do life in a way that's meaningful and, and important and, 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 and fulfilling? Or are you just sitting back and, and, and not even trying? Are you becoming dull? Are you becoming spiritually dull? Are you languishing and slow and sluggish? Are you waiting for someone to just feed you God? Just sitting back. Like, are you content with coming to church on the weekend and, and, and being here for about an hour and a half and that's it? That's all you need for the whole week. And the rest of the week, you're going to wait for other things to just feed you because that's what you're going to consume throughout the week. And then you come back. Are, are you okay with that? Or are, are you trying? Are you trying every single day to reach out to God, to get closer to him? See, here's the danger with this attitude of being dull, the danger of of languishing and not trying. We see it here in verse 12. It says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. He's calling them babies. He says, you're all just a bunch of babies. You need more milk. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. See, this laziness leads us to this right here. Ta-da. I asked Pastor Nick to sit in here. Like the whole time, wouldn't that have been awesome? Like he just sat there real quick. And then psh, and I, he could have like a pacifier and all that. He wouldn't do it though. He said he wouldn't fit. Ah. <sighs> But that's what we get. If we, if we are dull spiritually, if we languish, then, then we're just like an infant, who, an infant who has to sit here and say, feed me, give me more, teach me again. We, we, we sit here. I mean, imagine like we grow physically. We've seen this. Imagine like if, if you didn't grow in maturity, if you didn't grow physically and do your things or you, you didn't learn how to, to do the, the parts of life that we have to do. Like you invited me over for dinner and I, like, I come over and I'm like, okay, I'm ready to eat. I'm going to get in my high chair because I need some milk because I'm not ready for solid food. That's, that's who these people are. That's what the writer's talking about. He's saying, you're dull spiritually. You're languishing. You're slow and you're sluggish. You're not even trying. And all I can give you is milk. I want to tell you about Jesus and how he's this high priest who's ascended into heaven and he's in the order of Melchizedek. But you can't understand that because, because we're just sticking with who Jesus is first. We're just sticking with the basics, the elementary truths, the ABCs. That's what it literally means in the Greek. Like the ABCs of your faith. That's all he can deal with because they're just infants in the high chair. All they can do is have the milk. And that's the danger of this, of this dull attitude. And it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. We can't live on milk. As an adult, you can't live on just milk. You'll perish. You'll waste away. See, here's, here's the danger. I want you to understand this. It's possible to call yourself a Christian, but not grow. It's possible to call yourself a Christian, but not grow. It's possible to say, oh yeah, I follow Jesus. I follow Jesus, but I just need some milk. I'm just going to sit here. I just need some milk right now. It's possible to spend many years following Jesus, going to church and not pursuing and being sluggish throughout the week and never really trying and saying, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready for church. Okay, I need some milk. I just want some milk. It's possible to call yourself a follower of Jesus, but not grow. You get stuck 
in this place. You get stuck in this place where, where you just, you can't even accept the solid food. If you get the solid food, it's just, it, it upsets you. You can't handle it. You can't do anything with it. Like as an infant, we don't give them solid food because they're not ready. We just can't do it. It's not sustainable. Our faith, our life with God, it needs to grow. It needs to go to that solid food. If we don't, if we don't nurture it, it'll just die off. Our faith will die off. And we start here. Everybody starts here. When you come to know Jesus, you're an infant. It's okay. This is an okay place. This isn't bad. It's okay to be here. This is where we all start. We all start with the milk. We have to start here. But what God wants us to do is to grow. Just like we want our kids to grow. We want them to start walking and to, to, to have some autonomy and to, to take care of themselves. And we want to see them grow and flourish. And, and we want to see them experience life to the fullest. And we know they can't do that from here. They can't do that sitting in this chair just drinking milk. And God wants the same thing of each and every one of us. He wants to see us grow. And this growth requires these fundamentals, these, these ABCs. We have to start here, but we have to grow. God wants to see us pursue him and grow. You have to pursue him or you'll keep coming back to the high chair. I love how Charles Spurgeon said it. He said this. He said, the Christian life is very much like climbing a hill of ice. You cannot slide up. You have to cut every step with an ice axe. Only with incessant labor in cutting and chipping can you make any progress. If you want to know how to backslide, leave off going forward. Cease going upward and you will go downward of necessity. You can never stand still. That's the challenge we have. We, we don't get to, to, to this point in our faith where we're following God and maybe we've, we've left the high chair, we're moving on to solid food and we're, we're following Jesus and then we just say, okay, I'm done, I've, I've arrived, I don't have to do anything else. What Charles Spurgeon is saying is, is if we do that, then guess what's going to happen? You're just going to slide back and keep going and keep going until all you can take is the milk. If you stop eating the solid food, if you quit following God, the faith will get harmed. The faith will die. Hear that. A, a stagnant faith is a dying faith. What he's saying is if, if you're not moving forward with God, then you're moving backwards. I love how Pastor John Ortberg said it. He said, everything in our life, our thoughts, our actions, our words, our desires, they all have a spiritual charge. Either a charge that, that leads us towards God or a charge that leads us away from God. There's no neutral charge. Just in everything that we do, we're either drawing closer to God or we're drawing further away from God. And that's the challenge that these Jewish Christians have, that the, that the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, you're, you're, you've been doing this for so long, but you haven't been pursuing God, and all I can do is sit you in the chair and give you some more milk. But don't you want to grow deeper? Don't you want to know God at that, that level where, where, where you truly trust him no matter what happens? Even if, if the job is lost or the car is stolen or the, or the, the house is taken or, or the person is sick or the, someone dies. Like, like, I don't want to just be here where I'm crying. I'm like, I need someone to feed me. 
Life is horrible. I can't stand it. I, I don't know what to do. I want to grow deep with God and I want to know him at that place where I can go, all of those things have happened, but God is still God. When we know God at that deeper level, we can walk through all kinds of things. doesn't mean we don't walk through those things. doesn't mean those things don't happen to us. just means God is there in the storm. God is with us. Paul told the Corinthians this. He said, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. There's a life that that is lived by the Spirit, that's that's deep in relationship with God, that that isn't here at this this high chair with milk. It's it's at this place where we're, we're eating at the table with God. And we, we walk with him and we pursue him and we, we see him and we walk by the Holy Spirit. When you put your faith in Jesus, you're a new creation. You are regenerated. He gives us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, to give us power, to follow him and to be obedient. You are set apart to God. He starts this sanctifying action in you and sets you apart. He desires for you to grow. And as we surrender to God's will for our life, as we live by the Spirit, we move on. We allow God to direct us. See, that's our hope. Our hope is that God doesn't leave us on our own, of our own strength to do this. Because on our own strength, we can't. That's what we've already learned. On our own strength, we just end up here. We don't even end up here. We don't even know Jesus on our own strength. It's by God's grace that we can have faith in Jesus and we can follow him. He empowers us to be obedient and to follow his will. The last verse of chapter 5, it says, But solid food is for the mature. I was joking with my wife earlier. I was going to say mature because that's how a mature person says mature but it's mature. Who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. The mature person is in this constant use of their faith. They're training, they're pursuing God, they're they're acting, they're growing, they're transforming, they're, they're seeking out God. They're not just sitting around saying, feed me, feed me, I'm hungry, I need some milk. They're constantly pursuing God. They get transformed. That's part of the DNA here at Thorn Creek Church. We have three core values. We, we value love and we value relationships and we value transformation. We value following God at the level to which he will transform you. That, that, that you are surrendered to him completely. That, that we walk in obedience to him. That when you're reading your Bible and you come across something, you're like, wow, I haven't been living my life that way. You don't just go, well, rip that out. I don't need that. No, we, we believe in transformation. We believe in obedience. We go, wait, God, I'm, I'm not supposed to do that? Well, God, help me. I don't want to do that then. We believe in transformation. We believe in growing in Christ. We believe when, we, when you're at church and you're convicted, you don't just like go after church and talk to your spouse and be like, well, I'm going to just justify why it's okay for me to not have to do that. Like we heard it in church, but it's okay. I don't have to do that. That was for someone else. 
No, we walk in obedience. We grow to get solid food. When we do those other things, when we rip the the page out of the Bible or we justify, we're just trying to stay with our milk. Like, I'm okay with just knowing that Jesus saved me and that's it. Like, I just want a, a, a ticket into heaven. Like, I'm okay with the ABCs. I don't want to grow in my relationship with God. I don't want to know him at a deeper level. That's what it looks like when you're spiritually dull, when you're sluggish and you're slow. How do we grow from our milk to our solid food? We become obedient to God. We listen to his word. Oswald Chambers said it like this. He said, spiritual maturity is not reached by the passing of the years, but by obedience to the will of God. It's not how many years, it's how much obedience. You can find a person who just gave their life to Christ a week ago more mature than a person who's been following Jesus for 50 years. Because it's not about the years, it's about the obedience. It's about giving your life to Jesus. It's about following his commands. Jesus told us, he said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. You'll do what I say. Like our belief, our faith in Jesus is not about just saying it. A true belief means I'm going to change the way I live. I'm going to walk by the Spirit. I'm going to live in the Spirit. I want to have that solid food. I'm going to live in God's will. You can't just hope to do it or intend to do it. A.W. Tozer said this, it's so beautiful. If you want to be holy, then you must give time to God and not just intend to. If you want to be close with God, you got to give him time. You got to spend time with him every day. You can't be dull. You can't be slow. You can't not attempt. You can't, you know, not try to understand. You can't sit back and just say, feed me, feed me, feed me. Spiritual growth is directly related to obedience. You want to grow spiritually? Obey God. Obey him in the small things. Obey him in the thoughts. Like when you have the thought that you know you shouldn't have, then then you just say, Jesus, I know your word says that you can take captive every thought. Do that. Take captive my thoughts and make them obedient to you, Jesus. When you have that attitude where you want to like just scream at someone, be gentle. Remember, someone wants to scream at you at times. Someone wants to scream at me at times. I'm not perfect. And so I'm going to give grace and I want to forgive and I want to love. Grow deep in your relationship with God. Grow spiritually by obedience. Obedience to Christ. You just got to draw near to God. It says in James, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I love James. He doesn't hold back any punches. He's just like, just wash your hands. Come near to God. If we come near to God, he will come near to us. If we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. If you want to be close to God, just go after him and he will meet you. God's desire is not that you sit in this chair and say, feed me, feed me, feed me, and all you get is milk. 
He wants to see you pursue him and he will come. What's stopping you from having a closer relationship with God? Based on this verse, it's not God. That's not stopping you. Because if you come near to God, he will come near to you. So what's stopping you? What's holding you back? What's keeping you in the high chair? You can experience more of God today. God is infinite. I love this. God is, there's just so much to God. We cannot truly, like in this lifetime, fully experience him completely. And so he's just, there's just always more. There's just always more. So you can keep coming near to God and he will keep coming near to you. All you have to do is take a step. It's not, you don't have to go run a race. You don't have to go like completely change. You just take one step. Every single one of us in our relationship with God, we can take one more step, one step. You can just take a next step. I love being practical in my messages. I want to give you something that like you can hold on to and that you can do. So here's the challenge. Take your next step, whatever it is. There's all kinds of next steps. I have 12 of them for you. You can just pick one, okay? Next step, these are not in any particular order. You don't have to do one before the next. You could just take your next step. Wherever you're at, maybe you're still here and that's okay. And you're just gonna take the next step. Maybe you're out of the high chair and you're just gonna take that next step. Maybe you've been doing next steps for a long, long time. Well, guess what? There's one more step because God is infinite. So what's your next step? You can attend church consistently. That's a great next step. If you're seeking out God, you're trying to understand who he is, be at church every single week. If you can't be here in person, be here online. If you're not here in this location, be here online. It's wonderful. We have a great online ministry. Go to church consistently. Uh, Give your life to Jesus. If you haven't made that choice, that's your next step. Put your faith in him and and, and repent of your sins and and follow him with your entire life. Read your Bible daily. If you're not reading your Bible daily, this is a great next step. Take 10 minutes every morning before you go to work, before you leave the house. Just take that 10 minutes and read your Bible. Read a chapter. Read half a chapter. And pursue God. Come near to him and he will come near to you. Serve. Serve monthly. Serve monthly here at church. Find a ministry, plug in, and serve. It's a great next step. It's a great way to experience the love of God. You can serve in our guest relations. You can serve in our media ministry. You can serve in our worship ministry. You can serve in our kids ministry, in the perk, wherever. Just serve. Because the beautiful thing about serving is you humble yourself. You are serving. It's not on your, your, your schedule. It's not on your, your, all of your things. It's, it's about serving others and helping them, welcome them into the, the house of God. Pray daily. If you don't pray daily, there's your next step. Get baptized. If you've given your life to Jesus and you've never been baptized, then that's your next step. Join a small group. Start a small group. There you go. Maybe you've been in small groups all your life and, and like now it's time. Like, like the reader was telling us, like, you should be teachers by now. The best way to learn is to teach. The best way to really know something is to teach someone else about it. So maybe it's time to start a small group. Maybe you need to start tithing. Maybe you need to start honoring God with your finances. 
Like every aspect of your, of your life, you're going to give to God. So there's your next step. Start tithing. Maybe you're going to get into a discipleship relationship. What does that mean? It means you, one-on-one, with someone of the same sex, and you're going to come together to talk about God. Maybe you're going to disciple someone. Maybe you need to be discipled. Get into that relationship. If you need help, let us know. Go to our central hub, thorncreek.info. There's a place for you to, to connect with us and let us know that you want to do that. On our website, there's a little button that says next steps. You can go there anytime you want and take your next step. Take the membership class. If you've been here at Thorn Creek and you haven't taken a membership class, you're ready to, to do that next step, to be committed to the church, then do that. Go through our seven habits. This is coming soon. We've done the class many times, but we're going to turn it into video curriculum. And I'm really excited. Jay and, and Kaylee are here and they're helping rewrite it. And we're going to shoot it in video. It's going to be really awesome. So be watching for that because that could be your next step. The seven habits of a Christ-driven life. And we talk about what it really means to be a Christian. Whatever it is, whatever that next step is for you, put your trust in Jesus first. Start there. And if you're not ready, then just keep coming. That's a great next step. Keep coming to church. Don't be dull. Don't give up. Don't, don't, don't be a sluggard. We all have a next step to take. I have a next step to take. It's time for us to get out of the high chair and move on to solid food. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your love and your grace. I thank you for being our high priest, God. Thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for loving us. God, I know you were at work here today. I know you were at work here today. I know you were at work every day. If you're here today and you recognize you need to take that next step, you need to put your faith in Jesus. You want to experience that abundant life that, that he calls us to. You want to experience that regenerated life, that new creation. You want the Holy Spirit to live in you. And all you have to do is just say this. Say, God, I repent of all my sins. I want to be changed. I want to be transformed. I don't want to be dull anymore. I give my life to you. Jesus, I put my faith in you. You are my hope and my salvation. Jesus, thank you so much. God, help each and every one of us here today take our next step. We want to come near to you, and we want you to come near to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.